Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Busby Babe podcast. Uh, this is Colin Dams here, joined by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. And uh, coming to you a day after a 3-1 loss to Chelsea in the FA Cup semifinal. Um, I don't normally monologue on these, so I'm going to try and keep this short. But I just wanted to share some thoughts with you guys about you know, just a day reflecting on this game and I'm excited for this. Of, I'm excited yeah. for the Colin monologue because based <laughs> on based on the tweets that came up in my timeline yesterday from both you and Nathan back to back, I literally was like, I can't wait for the podcast tomorrow because we <laughs> finally disagree about something. So I'm I can't wait for Colin's monologue and then I can't wait to pick it to shreds. <laughs> right, so my tweet yesterday was basically concerning Ali Gunnar Solskjaer's setup for this team. And upon reflection and kind of looking at this game, uh, I don't think it was necessarily an overreaction to kind of look at it in the way that Solskjaer definitely seemed to be setting up to try and counter Chelsea. That's a strategy that I kind of understand, and, you know, coming into this game defensively kind of gives you a bunch of other benefits. Like maybe you can sit back and absorb pressure and then try to get creative in the second half or make changes to catch Chelsea off guard. But for the most part, I, I disagreed with it. And, but I think now looking at this game, that's not what I would say is the primary reason that we lost. And I think the primary reason that we lost were two things that were out of everyone's control like literally everyone's control. The first one would be Eric by going down injured. Uh, because despite the kind of conservative setup, it seemed like for the most part, it was working in the first half. You know, we weren't really creating anything or doing anything useful when we were in possession, but by having a back three with Eric by and Victor Lindelof flanking Harry Maguire, we were able to kind of, you know, isolate Giroud on Maguire and it kept everything else pretty organized, especially on the wings dealing with Willian and the other creative threats that Chelsea had. Um, but by going down and bringing on Anthony Martial, I mean, that changed the shape, which I think was something we struggled to adjust to, but by being injured for 15 minutes, I think really threw us off our rhythm and having to finish out a second half that lasted almost an hour or a first half that lasted almost an hour, uh, was definitely not something that Manchester United seemed prepared for. Um, and especially defensively and having to change shape that quickly and Chelsea catching us off guard that one time. And then individual mistakes just setting in really just became a moment of disaster for us. Yeah. Well, there's a lot there. Your original tweet was like, yeah, that I took offense to is that you blame Solskjaer for yeah. basically setting up to fail. And the tweet that followed that was Nathan basically saying that Solskjaer set up his team to implode, which you can't blame him for that. We discussed it on the podcast beforehand is how is, how do you set up the team for this game being like you, it's an FA cup semifinal. You have to take it seriously. You have to take seriously going to the FA cup final, but you do have two more games left. Uh, you can't, it wasn't a bad assumption to assume that Leicester would drop points against Tottenham or something, but you can't assume that, you know, you have mm -hmm. to assume that they are going to win. And, it, and, uh, one of the tweets I retweeted in the first half was like both managers kind of looked like they threw out. We assume Lester will will get max points today. Teams, um, there was a b 
big por- like what drove me nuts was that there was a big portion of the fan base being like, well, they should have just mailed this thing in and, and let the, and play the B team out there. And it's like, are you nuts? You, you can't do that because that goes against what Manchester United stands for and what Ollie is trying to build. He's trying to build Manchester United back into this club that, you know, we compete for every trophy. We're not, you know, my friends who are Tottenham fans and Arsenal fans are still, are they're in the, we should play the kids in the first League Cup game of the year. Hopefully we lose and we don't have to play League Cup games. And, you know, the, the third round of the FA Cup comes at the end of the festive period. Rotate the side. If we lose, good. We won't tire ourselves out. And it's like, and I keep looking at them and I say, that's why you're still not a big club. Like you can get into the Champions League and be a Champions League club, but you're not a big club yet until you say every competition we try to win. There's a hierarchy of them, but we aren't going to mail any in. So if Solskjaer is trying to sell everybody, on, we're bringing Manchester United back and we're every team, every game is important and we try to win every competition. You can't play your B team here because we played our B team against Norwich and we saw exactly what they could not do, which is beat the worst team in the Premier League. Uh, so you, you can't expect them to go out there and beat Chelsea. So Nathan played, did... I was just going to say, Nathan, did you want to like respond to that real quick before Polly goes on to the next point? Or, Well, I, I think the language that Polly was upset with that I used yesterday was the specifically the word implode. And maybe that was an aggressive verb to use, but I think what, what Polly's explaining is what I was getting at, where that lineup yesterday that he, uh, that he trekked out to start the match felt like, you know, he's dipping his toes in the pool but he wasn't jumping in you know like hey i've got a bunch of my strong players but also here's just enough to not be my strongest lineup against a team that i should probably take my strongest lineup against and it, it makes me wonder and it really does pay me to say this what is daniel james showing in practice that odian agalo isn't that you know you if you're going to take out marcial why wouldn't you put in the proven striker and still let marcus you know, freelance on the left wing or it, it just, it felt really disjointed. And I've, gotten, I've got an answer for that to you. And, and, and the, I'll give, I'll give Nathan credit because he did on the pod last week say we should play our best team and try to blitz them, which is what he has said for every game. So he is, you know, it's staying true to that. My, my effect, my issue was, and, and for Nathan, if that is his take, then I can understand him being upset. And, and his point right there is completely valid. It's, all these other p- people who were saying we need to rotate the squad fully and then they're mad that he rotated the squad a bit but then they're even more mad that he played Pogba and and Martial and Rashford I think ultimately we've kind of forgotten what the word rotation means and aside from yeah he had to he can, you can't throw the B team out there because we know that they're not good enough rotation doesn't mean wholesale changes. That's a substitution. You know, when you look at when you look at basketball, and sorry to bring up other sports, but when you look at basketball, you have your starting five, and then what do you do with your next three players? You bring in, you know, you bring in a, your point guard subs in for a point guard, and then when you when you're ready to bring your starting point guard back in the game, you don't take out your backup point guard. You take out your shooting guard, and you play with the two guards for a bit, and you bring in your backup big man, and then your when your your starting center is ready to come back in, you then take out your power forward, and the backup big man moves to power forward, and that's a rotation that gets everybody minutes, and your starters end up playing more. 
if you were to just so that's basically what Ali is doing here. He made some changes in that he he took out Matic on Thursday and, and put in McTominay because he said, all right, the drop in from my top defensive midfielder to probably my fourth best midfielder is big. But if we have the rest of the first team there, we should be able to overcome that and get a win against Crystal Palace. And now I can play Matic and Fred on Sunday, which is the same, which is the pair that beat Chelsea in February. It's the pair that beat Manchester City in January. It's the pair that beat Manchester City in March. He goes to James and Rashford up top. Uh, I may, might have went with Martial because that is closer to what you did against against Chelsea. Um, I think he goes to James over Igalo because James has that ability, like McTominay, that he draws a lot of fouls. So when you, where's Igalo gives you that hold-up play. Martial doesn't run in behind so much. James can get the ball, run at defenders, or get fouled, which helps you maintain possession, or he can run in behind. What we really saw was we saw this. We, we overrated a bit how well we played against Chelsea. If you go back and watch that game from February, Chelsea took Bruno Fernandes right out of the game. Um, he made his mark on a corner kick, but... In open play, he did nothing, and they did the same thing. They just fouled him every time, and nobody on United said anything to Mike Dean. There was so, you know no yellow cards for all these constant tactical fouls put us behind the eight ball, but what we also showed was that we, we don't have an answer for when Paul Pogba's in there because if the idea was get the ball up to Bruno, have him turn and either run at the defenders or play Rashford in behind, we needed to realize that that option wasn't working and the midfield had to go and play long balls to Rashford themselves. And that wasn't happening. The commentator even made a comment. It's the 51st minute. That's the first ball that we've seen over the top to Rashford. But was Bruno um, even really in his normal position yesterday? Because I mean, for most of the match to me, it looked like he was the centerpiece of a front three instead of a four person midfield, including so the wing backs. I guess. Yeah. When we play, when we play like as a split striker thing, that's kind of what you're doing is if you play a diamond midfield or uh, like we're the three, four, one, two, it's basically that is he's a withdrawn false nine player. Basically he's a false nine slash number 10. So he will lead the press as that lead number 10 guy, but he also will drop all the way back into midfield, which is what he did. We just, we weren't getting that next, that next outlet. And, I think the game plan was play Chelsea. And, and I mean, that was the way he set up his team was fine. I mean, that's how we played Chelsea the first time. And and it's not like we blew Chelsea out the doors. It was a very even match that we might have even deserved to lose. We scored twice and Chelsea didn't score. Like we got the better of the result the same way that in the beginning of the season, we were out playing teams and not getting the better of the result. So I think we put too much on it, but I also think the game plan was do this for 60, 65 minutes, and then we can yeah. bring Pogba and, and Martial onto the field. So, um, and make it a 25 minute game, hopefully so that they don't have to play 90 or 120 minutes. Um, and, and by all means also, you know, you took out Pogba, you took out Greenwood, you took out Martial. If now you go to ask uh, West Ham on Wednesday and you take out, Rashford and Bruno and you put Martial and Pogba and Greenwood back in the team. That is what rotation is. 
that and that would be perfect rotation because then mm-hmm. it would be well we have enough of the good players in to overcome this and you know if you thought that the squad should be rotated against Chelsea then and that the B team would be able to get the job done then they should be able to go out and get at least a draw against West Ham at home so I think the the plan was always at, at, at a certain point to take Bailly or Lindelof off and switch back to a 4-2-3-1. So I don't really think that the early switch killed them. Like, you know, at a certain point, I think Martial was going to come in for one of the full, one of the center backs and the team knew they were going to reshape. I agree with Colin. I think that's a really good point that the fact that he was injured for 15 minutes, um, dragged on maybe he shouldn't have even been on the field maybe his injury should have been 10 minutes earlier when he first mm-hmm. took a head injury and then at least he would have prevented mcguire from dinging his head for the second time in a week which by the way i am 90 percent sure mcguire played the second half with a concussion which would explain a lot of his questionable mm-hmm. traits um and then it was just it was you know bad mistakes you know a very simple mistake to start that first goal, Brandon Williams just leaves his man. He lets Azbulaqueta just run down the line unchecked. Mm-hmm. And so I tweeted about it yesterday and someone responded like, oh, you got to leave Brandon Williams alone. He's young and he's developing. And I'm, I'm sorry, but no, like it, it's not, so that's, I'm not saying, that's how defenders grow is, you know, they, they learn from their mistakes, but it, also, mistakes, it's still, but it's still a mistake that he made. It's that still a mistake that he yeah. made and it, it's not hurting his growth to call him out on it. I am not saying sell the kid. I'm not saying, wow, you got to get rid of him. He's crap. But also, you know, if we didn't trust him to play in an F like in an FA cup semifinal, I'm sorry. Like you can't make those mistakes. And if we didn't trust him to play, in an FA Cup semifinal, we wouldn't have sold Ashley Young. You know, like when when Solskjaer's reviewing that in January, he isn't saying, well, I don't really see Young getting game time. It's, well, if Luke Shaw gets hurt and we've got a big game, can I trust Brandon Williams? And the answer was yes. So if if that's the level of trust that the manager feels in you, he feels that you are good enough to let the backup left back leave, then I'm holding you to a standard that is akin to playing in an FA Cup semifinal. And that was such an easy mistake or such a simple mistake. And then everybody wants to kill De Gea and Lindelof for letting it go. But, you know, that cross doesn't come in if Williams just stays with his man. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it doesn't come in as maybe. All right. Maybe he stays with his man and Aspilicueta makes a great move to get by him and whip in a really good cross. But you're up in the difficulty. Like all these little things of. Aspilicueta has to change his speed so he gets by Williams. He has to pull a move, which every little thing ups the difficulty that much more. And if he then puts in a great ball and Lindelof and McGuire and De Gea muck it up, then credit credit to him and Williams, you're off the hook. But if Williams just lets him go and get a free ball in, you know, that that's where the play broke down right there. Because now your center backs and your goalkeeper have to react to something that shouldn't have happened. Really, that's how I see both of the first or both of the opening goals was individual mistakes that just kind of piled on top of each other. And I I think on the first goal, it's definitely more Williams in that situation than it is De Gea, because, you know, if Giroud gets anything on that at close range, it's going to be hard for De Gea to, you know, judge it. He did get something on it. It still trickled over. It doesn't look great, but it's still not entirely his fault. I think there's also a little bit of blame on Victor Lindelof, not you know, out-muscling them. And then on 
the second goal, you know, it's another giveaway. This is another situation of Maguire and Lindelof not cutting him off. And then it's a really, 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 really bad case by <laughs> David De Gea. Yeah, that second goal was like the rare thing where De Gea's error was so bad that it makes you forget Williams. But like yeah. that turnover by Williams was awful. And as soon as it happened, I said, this is going in the net. Like, because that's just one of those things where you see it. And when you see what it, when you see it happen, you go, this is the kind of turnover that always ends up in your own net. And as soon as Mason Mount takes that shot, I wasn't surprised that it went in. Then when I saw the replay, I went, wow, this is atrocious from De Gea. Yeah. Like, she it, has it, to clean up that mess. But don't let it forget the fact that De Gea was put, made a mess of something that he never even should have been near. It reminded me of the gold Messi scored against us last year in the new camp when it was a was an Ashley Young giveaway at left back and then he cuts in and scores. It I, I think De Gea is a whole nother conversation that we could you know have about this, but I guess just real quick, do you guys think that he is droppable for Wednesday, or do you think that that's too much of or too bad of a move that would kill his confidence at this point? Um I'll let Nathan I'm, go first. I don't, I don't think you drop him. As bad as it looked, um, I, I think dropping him, especially with only two games left in the season, that just sends one of those psychological messages that, you know, if De Gea is not as strong upstairs, that, that could be, you know, killer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I kind of akin it to hockey. Again, we're going to make a reference to something other than football, but, you know, Goalkeeper has a bad game, so they get yanked. You put in your other goalkeeper. Um, as a Capitals fan, I know this all the time with Braden Holpe. Um, but at the end of the day, like next game, you still stick with your guy. So they don't always do that in the playoffs. You know, sometimes it's a quick hook in the playoffs, and that helps. Yeah. You know, the backup takes this. Take, that's also how Braden Holpe became the Caps goal goaltender. Well, part of the problem too is the Capitals don't usually make it that far in the playoffs. So. I don't get to experience that. However, um, ultimately, the whole point of the story, I think you stick with De Gea. There's two games left in the season. Let him prove it to you because he he knows the pressure that's sitting on himself right now, especially with the way Dean Henderson's playing and the way everybody keeps talking about how Dean Henderson's waiting in the wings. Let's see what De Gea does for the rest of the season and then, you know, take take inventory of everything in the offseason. I, I would drop him. The fact that it's, you know, if we were playing Leicester... Descent. <laughs> no, it's if we were playing Leicester or some, you know, maybe not, but it's West Ham. They are 15th in the league. You know, they have nothing to play for anymore. I think Romero should be able to get the job done. I mean, Romero got the job done when we called upon him in those first league games back in 2015. Uh, and I'm not the biggest Sergio Romero fan, but I think he would get the job done. I said earlier this year there was a situation where De Gea made some mistakes. Um, and I think we had like a – it might have been in the festive period. Maybe it was the Burnley match or something where it was like you had the opportunity where we played and then we played very quickly afterwards. So like you had the opportunity to play Romero in one of those games and then put De Gea right back in. So it wasn't like a he got dropped – it would, or that that story of he got dropped wouldn't linger, but rather it would just be like, look, we're giving Romero a shot, and it would send a message to De Gea. But at this point, they have tried everything. They have tried doubling down and being like, we're confident in this guy. They've changed goalkeeper coaches. They have said we're sticking with him through the rough times. 
you got to try something else now. These errors are are caught. And, you know, again, if the error was the first goal, okay. But, like, that second goal is just so, so bad. And and they just keep happening. So you this is definitely an argument for not sending Henderson, I think, on loan again next year. Because I think that would it, that would send a much bigger message. Because to to a certain degree, you know, thank you Sergio Romero for your service. I really like him as a person and everything. But you know, I don't think De Gea is necessarily worried about losing a spot to Sergio Romero, even even in this situation as bad and as high profile he's, he's as not I, because he's, it's never happened. Yeah. So it's like it now next year. Next year is going to be, you know, the make or break year for De Gea. Because if Dean Henderson stays on the roster, it's going to be like, look, you know, shape up or ship out. And unfortunately, we can't ship him out because he's on three hundred and fifty thousand a week. But um, at the, you know, he can start riding the pine, especially if Dean Henderson is continuing to get all this buzz about being potentially England's number one, and he played so well for Sheffield. And I mean, God forbid, if there's like even a smidge of a preseason and he plays and looks good, you know, every most of the United fan base is probably going to turn on De Gea. So it's going to be on De Gea to be mentally strong and figure out what the hell's going on and fix these mental gaps that he's making, or, you know, it's going to be time to move on at that point. And and you have that, like, all right, yeah, he's sitting on a mountain of money and it's just going to come in weekly. But if he's not playing, um, you know, this is a, this is a guy that is already, um, he's already kind of lost his spot for Spain. Tekepa Tekepa, who is also doing his best, uh, I was, trying his best to not hold down the spot. On, on, it's going to be Pepe Reina's job again soon. On the football uh, ramble, they were joking that if you were to pull Spain right now, I think most, at least sixty percent, would call for Iker Casillas. Yeah. So, like, yeah, if I the mean, Euros were still playing right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's the thing. So he has that opportunity. He's going to want to be playing. So if Dean Henderson is there, like, you need to keep Dean Henderson out of the team because, all right, it's one thing to pull a Gareth Bale and just sit on the bench and collect your millions and probably, you know, when, when Wales, when it's time to go to Wales, you can go and play for Wales. If he's not playing, then Spain will find another goalkeeper. Yeah. That would be a heck of a goalkeeper room if we kept Henderson and didn't ship out Romero last, uh, next year. I mean, if they keep Henderson, I think they would ship Romero out on loan. We could have three world number ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Do we have any more thoughts on the semifinal before we move on to the uh, West Ham game real quick? Yeah, that game sucked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was it was poor. It was it was exactly what I feared it would be like. I remember saying this last week of like, do we ever play well at Wembley? And we don't like it. It, remember the year we played Everton where we were the second semifinal and Ferguson said, I switched my team when I saw the first game and saw how heavy that pitch was and slow. Yeah. And that's, he, said, he literally said he wasn't going to risk somebody getting injured and losing the league title because of that game. Yeah. And that's just, that's like what every FA cup semifinal looks like to me. It looks like the Wembley pitch just always plays slower and it was a real detriment to us. It made the it made it so necessary that we need to go out and get somebody like Jack Grealish because even if Jack Grealish can't play in that eight spot, uh, Bruno Fernandez can. So even if you put Jack Grealish in the ten and Bruno in the eight, like if Paul Pogba's not there and you can't get the ball directly from 
midfield to in behind the def- to in behind the defenders to your fast forwards, it's useless. Uh, the way that we had to play yesterday, where Chelsea just fouled Bruno every single time, and a, a terrible job by Mike Dean, who not only didn't book any of them, which is also a bad job from Harry Maguire to not be up in his face and remind him how often these guys are getting fouled. At least you know. Mm-hmm. Well, how aware was Maguire? Right. I mean, Maguire shouldn't have been playing. He should have been taken off against Crystal Palace. and He shouldn't have been playing in this game to begin with. But for nobody to be like, this is the third time. This is the fourth time they fouled him and get up in Mike Dean's ear. Also, how many times did Mike Dean like get in between Nemanja Matic or Fred and the ball and they couldn't get around him and Chelsea got a chance? Yes. Just terrible. (laughs) Setting a pick. (laughs) Yeah. A terrible refereeing performance. The midfield was slow. I, I think we would have been fine if, you know, that injury doesn't happen. The second half would be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they need it, the emphasis on you've got to get a Grealish in and that, that midfield just being – it really showed how much we rely on Luke Shaw because – um, if you think about it, every game where we've had a back three, not this is not Brandon Williams's fault, but it was evident yesterday. It was evident against Burnley in January when Williams was the starter and he was taken out when we were trying to fetch come from behind. It was evident on Thursday with Tim Fosumensa not having a left-footed player out there on defense killed us. It kills our buildup. It kills our ability to progress the ball, especially out from the back where we do play out from the back. And if you look at Every game we played with a back three, we've had a left footer out there, whether it be Marcos Rojo or Luke Shaw, except for Tranmere, which was Tranmere. Um, so it really emphasized how much we're missing Luke Shaw. And it, it makes me question Brandon Williams's role in this team right now. Like, there's no doubt Brandon Williams is a very good player. I'm not sure if Luke Shaw can't be that left center back or you don't have a left-footed center back that can play in a back three, I don't know if Brandon Williams could be a left back in this system going forward. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well, going into this West Ham game then, um, I think the biggest question, I mean, we know what West Ham are and what they offer and don't offer as a team. I think Mikhail Antonio has been in pretty good form in recent weeks. But for the most part, they're a team that we are, you know, both on paper and on the pitch supposed to be better than. Um, but they are a team that has given us trouble in the past, um, including this season. But that was uh, pretty early on when we were struggling. And that was at West Ham when fans were allowed in stadiums. Um, this is a situation now, too, where West Ham have basically all but guaranteed their safety. Uh, they're now six points above the drop zone and they've uh, created some distance between themselves and Watford, who are the next team uh, under threat of relegation. So this seems like a time when you would want to rotate uh, a little bit more uh, like we did on Sunday, you know, with the big game against Leicester coming up on next Sunday. Uh, Nathan, do you, do you think that this is the time after that loss to go back to normal? Or do you think that this is, you know, give Rashford and Daniel James a break, uh, give Harry Maguire a break, who very well, possibly could Daniel be James doesn't need to be. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Daniel James needs to be exiled. Sorry. Training Rashford and Bruno Fernandez. Okay. Sorry. 
as I say, Daniel's had my son has had plenty of break time. He's got to figure something else out. Um, his his legs shouldn't be tired. Um, yeah, that gonna, was the thing. Like the most tired players out there looked like Fred, Daniel, James, and Matic, who were the most rested. I'm inclined to say the same thing that I said before the Chelsea game, that if it's not broke, don't fix it, which is a weird thing to say after a 3-1 loss. Um, I like the idea of just taking care of business against West Ham, so that way we're not even worrying about shit against Leicester. You know, I would like to um, enjoy my Sunday afternoon, and I don't want to be stressed out. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to well, see... Well, the game's Sunday after. morning, so you'll be fine. Sunday morning, then. I want my Sunday morning to be relaxed. Either way, my friend Jalen's talking about, can he watch the game at my house because he wants to bring over champagne but not have bad vibes in his house. And, was, <laughs> and, and, I, and I told him, I was like, that bringing champagne to celebrate a third or a fourth place finish is a Arsenal level. Um, yeah, leave you know, the champagne somewhere where that you is, have That is as bad vibes as they know. come. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know if I want you bringing that, but sure. I'll, you can I'll order a mimosa it. afterwards. But... Yeah. <laughs> Look, I was going to say we don't vibe check on Sunday, but uh, this might be a vibe check moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so say the least, um, let's just beat the shit out of West Ham so that way I can enjoy some champagne on Sunday morning <laughs> and not have to worry. Um, yeah. But yes, I... I, I don't see why Rashford couldn't start. Um, Bruno, I, Bruno's played a lot of minutes, but at the same time, it, as Polly continues to, to remind us too, like everybody's had three months off. Um, Bruno strikes me as somebody who just recovers really quickly because he doesn't really look like he misses too much of a beat. Um, so I'd like to see Pogba start. I'd like to see Martial start. Um, I mean, if you're not starting Pogba, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> like, why didn't he play Sunday if you're not going to start him on Wednesday? Well, and certainly, like, if you decide to bench Pogba and still play Bruno, then Chelsea just gave you the playbook on how to disrupt the entire midfield. Because if you just foul the shit out of Bruno Fernandez, you know, I don't know that you can really rely on Fred and Matic to play all the forward passing you need to connect your, you know, your play to your forwards. So, yeah, just run out the strongest lineup. Get your three goals and start subbing people out in the 60th minute. That that's what we've said now for two weeks. Let's just let's let's continue to ride that horse. To use a, an analogy that Polly will enjoy, ride the horse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Pogba has to come into the team. Um, yeah, like what Nathan said is, you can't rely on Fred and Matic to do it. Even when Fred and Matic were playing really well in that run before the lockdown, you know, like our creative numbers were bad. And Bruno wasn't doing, you know, it was the chance, the few chances that Bruno was creating were, were being converted. It was in stark contrast to what Pogba was doing at the beginning of the season when he was creating chance after chance after chance and Rashford was missing him. Um, we've, we've now seen definitively that base, if you take out Pogba and you take out Matic, this midfield has a huge problem getting the ball to the front four. Um, mm-hmm. And it be and it doesn't matter, you know. I tweeted this when we played Tottenham. Like it doesn't matter how good Bruno Fernandez is if you can't get him the ball, and if he has to drop all the way in the midfield to get the ball, then he has the ball in a not dangerous area. I wouldn't mind, you know, like 
like I've said, if you were going to rotate your team, that's fine. And I don't mind taking Rashford out and bringing in any Gallo. Um, I don't mind, you know, you bring Greenwood back in. I don't know who, I think you, I, I would go, uh, it's, it's questionable if, if you want to run Matic back out there three times in a week. Um, you know, this whole idea, I looked at the calendar today, which was hilarious. The unchanged in four straight games thing happened over the span of 14 days. And literally one of those weeks, they only played one game in like in a calendar week from Monday to Sunday. That game against Villa was the only one they played. So the idea that we're too tired, it doesn't sit with me. So maybe, but I, but Bruno is, you got to think he, he needs a break at a certain point. But again, he was the only like he was running around more than everybody else on on um, on Sunday. I wouldn't hate going Pogba, Fred, Bruno or Matic, Fred, Pogba um, and resting Rashford, bringing in Igalo. Again, at the end of the day, because Lester lost, all we need to do is get a draw. If you get a draw, then. We go to the to Leicester on the final day of the season, and all we need to do there is get a draw. Um, I maybe would take Harry Maguire out, knowing that our defense becomes a lot worse in that situation. But uh, can Harry Maguire see straight? And knowing yeah. that he's been getting these hip, in, he was getting those hip injections in January. I do not trust a word that's going to come out of his mouth because you know he's going to tell the boss that he's good to play. I don't know if he is. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe that means you have to play Matic or McTominay back on defense. I just, this team should be good enough, even with, you know, with a Pogba, a Martial, maybe a Bruno, even a Gallo, they should be good enough to get a result against West Ham. And then, then you reevaluate and you probably go with your strongest 11 uh, against Leicester. If not, yeah, like go out and win three, four nil, and then you could, you could even rotate your squad against Leicester. If you win four nil, you could rotate your squad against Leicester even and just be like, we just can't lose by four. Right. Um, which <laughs> you shouldn't because Leicester are significantly worse without their two good fullbacks and their playmaker. But I would like to, I, I do think if you don't take off Rashford or something, then you, then you did make changes in the FA cup for in vain. I think, if you take off Rashford and maybe Bruno and maybe even a Juan Basaka, uh, it might mean if Luke Shaw is back, I would think I would definitely go probably Brandon Williams on the right back and Shaw on the left back. But if you don't bring the guys that you took off back in and maybe take one or two out, then you didn't really rotate your squad well. You simply made changes for the FA Cup and then it, and then it becomes fair to ask why did you do that? Yeah, I think. Uh... I, I definitely think it's going to be rotated a little bit. I'm worried about center back though because it does seem like Maguire could very possibly miss this game for health reasons, and I'm not sure who could come in after him. Bai has been given a medical all clear, but because of concussion protocol, he's not coming back for I think any of the games this season. Maybe Europa League. Um, but yeah, I don't want to give this game the kind of significance that would warrant another disaster by having us do score predictions. So I'm going to say that that is the end of part one and uh, we'll be back after the ad break uh, for part two with a listener question. So stay tuned. And we are back for part two. Um, 
we do actually have uh, another fan question submitted. So thank you for submitting that, whoever it was, in whatever form they submitted it. Uh, Polly, take it away. Yes, submit your fan questions, voicemails uh, to 617-BUSBY-BAY. Send a voice note or an email to Podcast at gmail.com. And today we got a new form. Uh, someone submitted a text message to 617-BUSBY-BAY. And guess what? That works, too. Uh, the person said that their name was Anglo-American, so I guess you can imagine where this question is going to go. And he wrote, when will Solskjaer realize the flaws of Lindelof? He doesn't understand the basics, let alone staying goal side. He is slow, slow to react, and has cost United many points, upwards of six this season that would make all the difference in the world about these last four games. Bai has had to give away penalties this season trying to, trying to ball this bloke out. Enough. After the Chelsea performance and allowing the late equalizer against Southampton, I have to wonder if Solskjaer is drinking the dishwasher. Finally, why on earth does Solskjaer change the formation against Chelsea and leave our, and leave out Romero, who has played really well in previous FA Cup matches? And we're going to do something a little bit different today. Before I throw it back to Colin and Nathan, I am just going to say, Mr. Anglo-American, you have completely invalidated your argument. <laughs> When you get your facts completely wrong. This is something there is. I don't like Victor Lindelof. I was going to say, when, when did Baye concede that penalty? Because I think that was dealing with a Matich ball, wasn't it? It's not. Baye conceded the penalty. He was subbed on for Lindelof. Um, so this is what I was watching at the beginning of the show. Eric Baye and Victor Lindelof have only played 40-something minutes on the pitch together this season. And that was yesterday against Chelsea. They have... Played previously together, and Bailly has conceded the penalty. It was last year against Brighton. It had nothing to do with Lindelof. Bailly slid in on a guy from behind after he let the guy run classic in behind Bailly. him. Uh, it was just, yeah, classic reckless Bailly move. Uh, it was guy. not failing Lindelof out. So, you know, this is just, I dislike Victor Lindelof, and I am going to throw things at you. And and this is these are the kinds of arguments that I hate. Like when, when you're going to look at me and say, you don't rate Scott McTominay as high as you should. And I say, you're right. I don't. Here's why. Here's video. Like, here's what I'm talking about. You're basically saying, I don't like Victor Lindelof and I'm going to make up reasons. Upwards of six. Find me the mistakes that Lindelof has made that led to goals this year. All right. There's the one. He got beat for a header against Crystal Palace. He got beat uh, against Southampton for the equalizer away which wasn't a mistake he just got beat in the air because he was not as tall as the guy that own goal against Everton was the same situation as this one De Gea failed to punch it he was probably fouled and Lindelof is in the right position but doesn't ex- not expecting the ball to come to him and it just hits him and goes in like you can't pre- you can't really prepare for all that bad luck to happen and other than that if you go back and look at all the set pieces and, and all the headers that United have given up and all the defensive mistakes, they're all Maguire. It's not Lindelof, but uh, he's never been on the field with Bailly to bail him out. We have more than four, we don't have four games left. I don't know why you're concerned over the final four games. We only have two. Uh, the late equalizer against against Southampton, yeah, he got out muscled on it, but again, there was a lot going on there. Rashford not even jumping. <laughs> to try to throw off that first ball. It's not all on Lindelof. And you invalidated your argument the second that you've just made non-factual claims that are so easy to say this never happened. 
So Anglo-American, once again, thank you for submitting your question. We appreciate all <laughs> oh, questions yeah. submitted for, yeah. what to the Busby Bay. I do Bay. appreciate it. Um, I think probably the easiest and most pragmatic answer to that question is to why is Solshire stuck with Lindelof? Um, I don't want to be an asshole who answers a question with a question, but who are you starting over Victor Lindelof? Because Baye's been hurt all season. Phil Jones has been hurt all season. Also, do you really want healthy Phil Jones uh, over Victor Lindelof? Smalling's on loan. Marcus Rojo's in Argentina right now. Like, who's going to play center back? Twanzebi's been hurt. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Twanzebi's been about to come into the team, got hurt. <laughs> like, are we going to bring in Ethan Ethan Laird to play right back and then have Aaron Juan Basaka switch over to like right center back? We just don't have the defensive options, and that's why, as much as we've kind of wondered aloud, like, is center back the most pressing thing over, say, right wing when we're looking at Jaden Sancho? Center back is still very much something that does need to be addressed because even if it's not replacing one of our, you know, starting duo, we still have to get depth in there because we don't have guys that we can rely on week in and week out to take a shift because they have been injury prone and they seem to get hurt all the time. I mean, Baye's a liability even when he's healthy because when you put him in, he seems to get hurt. So he's getting subbed off inside the first half, and then you're like, well, shit, what was the point of even playing him? So and Not only that, but yeah. this is what oh, – sorry for cutting you off, Colin. But everybody always says this constantly is, oh, we need a new center back. We need a new center back. we got to get a world-class center Who? Come at me with a name. Who is out there and who is available? Like, you know, oh, okay, Koulibaly. All right, well, Koulibaly's 28, getting knee problems. And if you spend $100 million on him, which is the price, then you can't, um, you know, then you can't buy Jaden Sancho. So, like, I, I do hate to break at the fans, but to use a basketball reference, is going to be Brandon Roy, which is not something yeah. we can afford to spend huge money on. <laughs> and, then, and then they say, oh, Nathan Ake is available. And, oh, I don't rate him. He plays for Bournemouth. All right, well, then who? City's I'll about throw, to buy him for 44. I'll throw a name out there. John Brooks. Go by John Brooks. Big guy, left foot, very USA. good with the ball. Very good with the ball at his feet. Uh, you know, you could probably get him for 20 to 25 million. Like, uh, oh, yeah. Um, Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg are, like a seller, are definitely sellers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a little bit older, but he's not expecting to walk into the first team. He'd be able to press to challenge Victor Windelhoff, but he's also, you know, would be a good depth piece and in two years would be on the older side. So he'd even more so be depth when you have Tayden Menji or Axel Tonzebi establishing themselves in the first team. So there's a name. But like, stop. Now we can loan him to Syria. Yeah, but stop coming at me with. They need a center back. They need a center. who? What good center back out is out there that fits all the boxes that everybody feels like they need to be ticked because Maguire's not good enough and Lindelof's not good enough and is available. Would you take a flyer on Thiago Silva? No. Ask me four years ago. <laughs> Come on, I just want to play the Dave song. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, Nathan took the words right out of my mouth to answer that one. Um. There's really I. I I guess to kind of play devil's advocate since I am a white guy on a podcast. Um, <laughs> Mansplain this to us, Colin. Yeah. I, I mean, the last few matches have definitely kind of brought up the need for a new center back and possibly, you know, bringing in new options at that position. But, I mean, that's what Solskjaer did. He brought in Eric Bailly to this team to try and strengthen the center back position against Chelsea in the FA Cup semifinal. 
And to answer the other question, he brings in his first choice goalkeeper because he values this game and he wants to win it. You know, it, it, Solskjaer isn't Solskjaer is working with what he has. And for the, you know, from that match, we can see that he was trying to strengthen his side and then win this game. Um, it didn't work out. I don't think that we should necessarily overreact. Uh, you know, maybe switching out Ser- Sergio Romero for David De Gea is, is not a great move. But there's a reason that David De Gea starts every other match and Sergio Romero only comes in for Europa League, League Cup, and FA Cup sometimes, you know. And maybe De Gea is losing that spot, but we're not to the point where we're accepting that reality yet. I, I will say this, though. I, I, I don't know if the last few games have shown us why, that we need the dearth and quality at center back. They've shown it to us in midfield, and it's it, it goes to the same thing of what we said before with Williams is nip the problem in the bud before it becomes a problem. Uh, that's what's so short. You know, he didn't fix the defense by which he, by the way, he has our defense is like in the top is top two or three defenses in the league. It is miles better than where it was last year in terms of giving up the amount of chances that we create the, the quality of chances that we concede. We just remember when they concede goals. But he didn't do that by just signing Harry Maguire and signing Aaron Wan-Bissaki. He did that by also reinforcing the midfield and changing how we play defense and where we play defense. And we defend higher up the field because if you defend higher up the field and something goes wrong, you have a chance to recover. If you defend where Mourinho had us defending deep and something goes wrong, now you're screwed. And there's a reason that he brought Paul Pogba back into the base of, of a two because he was better than – you know, when when we didn't have when we lost under Herrera, if we didn't have Pogba in the two if we, at the end of last season, when McTominay was there or when Fred was there, we couldn't get the ball forward. So we brought Paul Pogba back, which solved two problems. He brought Nemanja Matic back in the team, which solves the problems. If we if you don't have a solid midfield and you just let teams walk through your midfield, it doesn't matter how good your defenders are. You're going to have problems. So it's not just a matter of signing a new center back. It's if we take Paul Pogba off the field against Southampton, we can't all of a sudden lose control of the game and let them freely be attacking us. We got to, you know, so it's it's a dearth of midfielders, you know, like uh, yesterday we couldn't progress the ball. So it really emphasizes, yes, we need someone that's better than Phil Jones because when all of our injured center backs get hurt, We've got to, and we have to call on our fifth choice guy. He's got to be reliable, but at the same time, we need to have a deeper midfield so that we can hide whatever deficiencies we do have back there. Yeah, and I mean, if we're being entirely honest with what the squad is right now, there's really only three guys that are truly undroppable. Um, I mean, we need depth at every position. Mm-hmm. So, I, Marcus Rashford's not likely to lose a spot. Bruno Fernandez, Paul Pogba, Anthony Martial, they're not likely to lose their spots in the starting 11, you know, pending injury. But everybody else is potentially replaceable. I mean, Maguire, when he's not dealing with a head injury, is going to probably be relatively undroppable. But yeah. as we I, would, I would include Aaron Wambasaka in that, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. AWB. But we're also looking at people like players who we've seen them play this year. And we've said, oh, okay, they're squad players. But, you know, when we see the top 11 playing to the ability that they're playing, we're seeing the, dif- the, the amount of difference 
in quality between the top 11 and then just guys numbers 12 and 13 before you even get to the Lingards and Pereiras of the squad. Mm-hmm. And if you need to if you need to bring out one of those top 11 guys and the, the players that you replace them with are incapable of playing the same system, like that's a problem. And then you, you need better backups. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's going to conclude it for us uh, after, you know, a disappointing match recapping that. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel pretty good about this episode, guys. Uh, I feel like we performed better easily, than Manchester United did. Easily well, our the shortest bar was podcast. Low. Easily our shortest podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Uh, oh, yeah, we kept it within the time range. That's a good <laughs> job by us. Yeah. So, John Gennaro, if you're listening, we kept it under an hour this time. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's, you know, we could no no need to beat a dead horse. It just it wasn't our day, for a, a myriad of reasons. We had some breaks go against us. Mike Dean sucked, and it, it just wasn't our day. A lot of things sucked. That's that's the easiest review that we can give. Yeah. Well, we are nope, going to make up for my ratings this time. But also, like you can't. It's hard to beat a team four times in a year. So kudos to Frank. He he did it. Yeah, you know, there's still game. Uh, five, six, and seven to look forward to to try and finish out this series. Right. So, you know, we've only we've only beaten Pep three out of four times also this season. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned later this week. Uh, we're going to have a collaboration episode with uh, the guys from We Ain't Got No Podcast of the Busby or not the SB Nation uh, We Ain't Got No History Chelsea page. So we will have to you know relive this game and at another time uh and then after the west ham game and possibly after the less lester game depending on how everyone's schedules work out we will recap the premier league season and uh look at where we're at at that Certainly point after by next week yeah <laughs> maybe maybe we can't do it right after the lester game but right. like, we could do it day after that i didn't know about hopefully i'm like champagne drunk when we do it because we're celebrating right yeah, not, yeah. You're, hopefully champagne you're still drunk champagne drunk on Monday afternoon when we <laughs> when we do the Premier League recap. I don't know. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I've been Colin. And I've been Nathan. Alviter Zane. <laughs>